Local COVID cases hit a new daily high of 2,969 cases on Thursday. To free up medical capacity, the CECC is letting more categories of mild COVID patients isolate at home. Home isolation is now allowed for patients aged 65 to 69 who live with at least one other person. Under the revised policy, government-run quarantine centers will be reserved for patients who are 70 to 74 years old. In related news, the CECC says it does not plan to ban dining in at restaurants even if case numbers move higher. At a routine press conference, the health chief said was asked if dining in would be banned if the infection rate exceeded 15 percent of the population. Health Minister Chen Shizhong said that if the rate climbed as high as 15 percent, there would be, quote, no need for restaurant restrictions. He added that in the future, testing will be gradually used to replace home isolation. With COVID numbers rising fast, shoppers are now rushing to stock up on groceries in case they're ordered into home isolation. Supermarkets report a 30% surge in demand for shelf-stable goods such as instant noodles and canned goods. Online orders have also risen sharply, they say. A store worker selects boxes of instant noodles and puts them into the shopping cart. Then, at the distribution center, staff check and seal each box to prepare them for shipment. Online grocery orders have gone up 20% at this supermarket. Amid rising COVID numbers and fears of getting a home isolation order, people are stocking their pantries. Instant noodles, eggs, fish, canned food. I'm stocking up on things I can store. Say that you have to go into home isolation. You can't go outside. Since you can't go out, you of course need to be well stocked at home. Home isolation lasts 10 days, and these shoppers are stocking up just in case. Which items are best for keeping at home? Internet users say key necessities include sugar, salt, eggs, rice, and soy sauce. Other popular buys include medical supplies, such as painkillers, antipyretics, anti-inflammatory medicine, and ointments for wounds. According to retailers, most shoppers are reaching for instant noodles and canned goods. Carrefour, Amart, and PXMart say sales of these items have jumped 30%. Sales of disinfectant alcohol, hand sanitizer, and related goods have doubled. Sales of instant noodles and canned food have risen by about 30 percent. Sales of rice and noodles are up by 10 percent. Products like pandemic supplies, alcohol and face masks have also seen substantial growth. Though shoppers are rushing to fill up their pantries, supermarkets say there is an ample supply. They say that rationing won't be implemented, so there is no need to panic buy. The CECC has released guidelines to help parents know when to get medical help for children with COVID. Children need emergency medical attention if they experience convulsions, difficulty breathing or loss of consciousness. Newborns under three months old who develop a fever should be admitted to a hospital for care. Parents send their children off to school early in the morning. But as soon as the kids reach the main gate, a teacher runs out and informs them that class is cancelled. At 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Renai Elementary School in Taipei was notified that two more students had been diagnosed with COVID. The school announced it would close for 10 days, but not everyone caught the news. I'm 
More and more students around Taiwan are stuck at home. The CECC released a set of guidelines on Thursday to help parents decide what situations warrant medical attention for minors. If they have a fever that persists for more than 48 hours or a high fever of 39 degrees and up, as well as chills or cold sweats. Secondly, if they are not as active as before after the fever breaks. Thirdly, if after recovering from the fever, they continue to experience shortness of breath, asthma, chest tightness, chest pain, persistent vomiting, headaches, or abdominal pain, or if they haven't eaten anything in 12 hours, if they are not eating or urinating. Medical care should be sought if a child experiences convulsions, loss of consciousness, difficulty breathing, a sunken chest, lips that turn pale or purplish, a blood oxygen level below 94%, cold extremities or spots on the skin. Parents do not need to wait for instructions from the local health bureau. They're encouraged to call 119 directly, book a quarantine taxi or find another means of transport to the hospital. Newborns under three months who develop symptoms, including a fever, should be sent to the hospital for treatment. Infants between 3 and 12 months of age who have a temperature above 39 degrees should also be taken to the hospital. According to the CECC, all infants under three months old should be admitted to a hospital if they develop a fever. The new guidelines come after the death of a two-year-old boy, Taiwan's youngest COVID casualty yet. COVID vaccination has been approved for children aged 6 to 11. Taiwan's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices decided on Wednesday to allow two doses of Moderna for young children. The doses will be given at a 12-week interval, and each dose will contain 50 micrograms of mRNA, which is half an adult dose. The policy makes about 1.2 million children eligible for vaccines. The interval was set at 12 weeks because if the two shots are given too close together, we wanted to prevent a high incidence of myocarditis. For the 12 to 17 age group, if there are no severe adverse reactions after the two primary doses, a child can get a booster five months after the second shot. Also on Wednesday, Taiwan approved third shots for minors aged 12 to 17. It also approved fourth shots for certain categories of adults. They include people aged 65 and older, residents of long-term care facilities, and adults 18 and older who are immunocompromised. Starting in June at the earlier, these groups will be eligible for a fourth shot five months after receiving their third. New studies suggest that diabetes may be a symptom of post-COVID life. The life-threatening condition joins a long and varied list of symptoms that can develop unexpectedly after patients recover from COVID-19. Among adults, the risk of getting diabetes may be elevated by as much as 38% after catching COVID. We spoke to Dr. Wu Changteng of Chang'an Medical Foundation to find out more. New diagnoses of diabetes are slightly more probable. Dr. Wu Chang-Ten reads out the latest study. The symptoms of post-COVID continue to reveal themselves, with some patients developing skin problems, respiratory issues and cardiac trouble. Recently, more and more studies suggest that diabetes can become part of the post-COVID diagnosis. 
This study from The Lancet suggests that people who have recovered from COVID have a 38% higher chance of developing type 2 diabetes than someone who has never had COVID. Patients who had a severe case of COVID-19 have a 276% higher risk of type 2 diabetes. Another study from the U.S. suggests that 2 in 100 COVID patients will later be diagnosed with diabetes. Dr. Lin Jia-hong of Linko Changa Memorial Hospital suggests this explanation. When adults get COVID, their immune system activates protective mechanisms that may weaken the functioning of insulin and increase hyperinsulinism. But it's not just true for adults. A report from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control also found that a month after catching COVID, children are 2.5 times more likely to develop diabetes. COVID-19 may infect the beta cells and pancreatic cells, causing children who have caught pneumonia to have a higher chance of being diagnosed with diabetes. Protection-wise, we should increase the rate of vaccination among parents so that the number of children getting infected doesn't have to be as high as abroad. Doctors also suggest that anyone who has caught COVID pay extra attention to their diet, exercise habits and general health to increase their immune strength and improve their chances of recovering fully after the infection. Amid growing Chinese pressure, Taiwan will start mass production of the Xiongshen service-to-service -service missile this year. The missile is an extended-range variant of the Xiongfeng 2E missile. With an estimated range of 1,000 to 1,200 kilometers, it can travel far enough to reach China's Central Theater Command. Experts say it can be fitted with high-explosive or cluster munition warheads, which can be used against enemy command posts, bunkers and airport runways. With a thunderous roar, a missile launches into the sky. The National Zhongshan Institute of Science and Technology conducted live-fire missile tests on Wednesday at Pingdong's Jiopeng military base and Changgong Township in Taidong. Amid this latest round of missile tests, new details have emerged about Taiwan's Xiongsheng missile program. According to Defense Ministry reports submitted to the legislature, a facility will be ready to mass-produce the missile starting this June. The Xiongsheng program is a plan to upgrade the Xiongfeng 2E, drawn from Taiwan. The combat radius of this new missile can cover China's Central Theater Command. This means that the Central Theater Command, which is located behind the Taiwan-facing Eastern Theater Command, that entire region and all its military targets, and particularly its airports, will all be within the range of our Xiongsheng missiles. The Xiongsheng missile has an estimated range of 1,000 to 1,200 kilometers. At least 100 missiles will be mass-produced. In terms of this missile's application, conventional high-explosive warheads can be equipped with armor-piercing capabilities so that they can penetrate and detonate on reinforced military targets, such as bunkers. The second type of warhead releases cluster bombs in line with international conventions, that is, conventions on cluster munitions in relation to self-destruct devices. So the Xiongshen missile is very important to the asymmetric defense of the Republic of China. This is classified national security information. I can only say that it has a tremendous range. Once a missile enters mass production, whether we're talking the Xiongfeng 2, the Xiongfeng 3, or the extended Xiongfeng 2 and Xiongfeng 3 cruise missiles, the total number of missiles cannot be publicly disclosed, but it can be said that the numbers will increase by leaps and bounds. Besides building an arsenal of the Xiongsheng missile, Taiwan will step up the production of other missile types to boost its ability to delay or paralyze an enemy invasion. 
Nine Taiwanese institutions have been recognized in this year's Top 100 Global Innovators list. They include the Industrial Technology Research Institute, or ITRI, as well as major tech firms Honghai, MediaTek and TSMC. ITRI has now made the list six times, and for the fifth year in a row, making it the most awarded research institution in Taiwan and the Asia-Pacific. Nine Taiwanese institutions have won awards at this year's Top 100 Global Innovators. They include multiple-time honorees Itri, Honhai, MediaTek, Quanta and TSMC. There are also four newcomers, AU Optronics, Delta Electronics, Western and Realtek. With nine honorees, Taiwan recorded its best performance at the annual awards, ranking third ahead of the UK and France. Itri made the top 10 list for the fifth consecutive year and the sixth time overall, making it the most awarded Taiwanese institution in history. We established an IP bank, that is, a bank for intellectual property. The bank brings all of Taiwan's intellectual property to one place so that our national teams can come and obtain the patents they need to increase their global competitiveness. Besides forming a national tea for patents, ETRI teamed up with 26 banks and the Small and Medium Enterprise Credit Guarantee Fund of Taiwan to promote a financing plan based on the valuation of intangible assets. Over the past two years, the program has helped more than 50 enterprises access more than 100 million NT in financing. The Ministry of Economic Affairs says it's working on revising laws on intellectual property to help Taiwan join the CPTPP free trade bloc. We recently released a special section on innovation pertaining to the application of research and development findings. They target startup licensing and loosen relevant regulations for tech transfers. As of last year, we had invested 96 billion NT in R&D, which from what I've heard is more than what it costs to build Taipei 101. Moving forward, we will continue investing in the metaverse, automotive electronics, and so on. In spite of global uncertainties, Taiwan's institutions have continued to impress, showcasing the nation's industrial prowess on the world stage. Stunning photos of Taidong County are on display now at Taipei Main Station. This showcase of 36 photos won a contest organized last year by a DPP lawmaker. The contest was aimed at supporting Taidong tourism after it was badly hit by the COVID pandemic. Let's hear from the legislator Liu Zhaohao. If you had traveled to Taidong and spent a night there, you could have entered any photos of your stay in this photo contest. The main goal of this photo contest was to give greater public exposure to the beautiful landscape and people of Taidong. The second hope was that by offering prizes for photos taken on fun trips to Taidong, this contest would give a boost to Taidong, to Taidong's tourism industry. The Taidong Photography Exhibition will be up at Taipei Main Station until May 31st. 18 of their works are by Taidong locals, while another 18 were taken by travelers from out of town. While the pandemic continues to spread in Taiwan, politicians are concerned with the lead-up to local elections. Most legislators are continuing their schedule of consultations with voters as normal. But in the midst of a pandemic, campaigning requires lots of special hygiene protocols. Other politicians are taking a different stance, postponing meetings or holding events online. 
DPP lawmaker Chen Tingfei wears a mask and observes social distancing of a meter as she makes the rounds of her constituency. The pandemic has worsened in Taiwan in recent days, but Chen's schedule of voter meet and greets is unchanged. We will not reduce the appearances in the schedule. Preventing the spread of disease starts with me. So of course, while I go from commitment to commitment, I make quite sure I'm wearing my mask right and frequently washing my hands. I take alcohol disinfectant everywhere, and we have all been triple vaccinated. Having been vaccinated, Chen thinks her schedule is safe. KMT lawmaker Hong Meng Kai is triple vaccinated too, but he disagrees. His schedule has been greatly curtailed, with at least 40% of his appointments cancelled or postponed. For example, the prize ceremony this week has gone online. The unit owner assembly meeting is postponed. We shake hands less now. We've switched to cupping our hands as a greeting. Even if it's a photo call or a dinner meeting, if we can avoid taking our masks off, we should. I think all the locals understand and agree and won't think it's rude. Public meetings are a risky business, but if you don't get out on the street, you might be accused of neglecting your voters. KMT lawmaker Lin Yihua has brought all her official visits to her own office. What's tricky is that it's hard to avoid contact during meetings. Sometimes you need to discuss something and so on. So it's really at the point where, if I need to drink some water, I do it under the mask. I avoid taking it off if at all possible. DPP lawmaker He Jiwei stands with his sister-in-law, Taipei City Councilor Zhong Peiling, on a campaign ramp to make a round of the street. The DPP councilor primaries have been tough, but wherever He goes, he doesn't forget his lateral flow test. You can see from how fast the test is over with that he's no stranger to the swab. First, get in and out fast and don't linger too long. Secondly, you must wash your hands frequently. Third, take a lateral flow test regularly. I take one every two or three days. Then, at least I can guarantee I am negative and safe. When my negative test stick comes out, I feel like my approval ratings go up because voters feel I am being considerate of them and responsible. In the run-up to the elections, politicians are constantly ferrying from their office work to public engagements and back again. To make that travel safe in a pandemic, there are lots of fine details and plans to get in place. Mother's Day is in a couple weeks, and Taiwanese families are planning their celebrations. Despite the resurgence of the pandemic, many restaurants are reporting high bookings for Mother's Day. Others are banking on the takeaway market to sell pre-prepared feasts. Bamboo shoots and mushrooms simmer furiously in a delicious sauce. Combined with succulent greens, this beautifully presented dish is a special treat to eat in. Chinese knotweed mushroom chicken and fish maw with sea cucumber and white fungus are all believed to improve the complexion. As Mother's Day approaches, this central Taiwan restaurant is 80% booked up, with patrons apparently unfazed by the pandemic. We would love to celebrate Mother's Day in a restaurant, and in fact, all the restaurants have prepared their hygiene precautions well. It's more bother to take the food home. You have to rearrange it or present it, and the atmosphere is not the same. We have specially prepared independent booths for our customers to dine in on Mother's Day. This restaurateur stresses that they've prepared their hygiene protocols
protocols to a high standard, with seating spaced extra far apart to give diners peace of mind. At another establishment, Cantonese stir-fried pork is served. The pork skin tender, juicy and glistening. This meat and pickled cabbage hot pot is bursting with prawns and meatballs. Here, they're aiming for the takeaway market with mum's COVID-safe boxes. This frozen cuisine too, and many customers are stocking up. We've come to pick the frozen meals mom likes. We'll cook them ourselves at home. It's more fun eating at home. Consumers are responding quite enthusiastically. We estimate that growth for this wave will be about 10 to 20 percent. The pandemic may keep coming back to cause trouble, but it can't hold back the festive spirit. However, and wherever families gather, moms are in for a treat. ICDF, or the International Cooperation and Development Fund, is an NGO that helps developing countries around the world, with a focus on Taiwan's diplomatic allies. To raise public awareness of its work, ICDF has launched a series of interviews featuring its staff. In the second episode, we meet ICDF's Deputy Secretary-General Shi Jun, who shares stories of his time on foreign aid missions. This is Shi Lijun, Deputy Secretary General of ICDF. He's worked in foreign aid for 30 years. His first assignment was in Macedonia. As soon as he arrived, the Kosovo War broke out. My first overseas assignment was in Macedonia, and as soon as I got there, there was a war in Kosovo. I could hear the sound of bombs exploding. We saw smoke in the capital and displaced Albanian refugees. Of course, a lot of assistance came in from international organizations. There was also some assistance from our government. Shi had one of his most memorable experiences during a trip to the African country of Malawi, where ICDF was helping mothers and babies with AIDS. He said he was deeply moved by the encounters with the locals. The sincerity in their eyes, the joy that we saw, that brought warmth to our hearts again and again. We were in Malawi, and we arrived at a village that was filled with mothers and babies who had AIDS. The women performed the traditional dances to welcome us. A female representative of their village told us this, God and the government have abandoned us. Only Taiwan and the ICDF have not forgotten us. Through a series of YouTube interviews that will be launched every month, Taiwan ICDF hopes to raise awareness of Taiwan's assistance to foreign countries. FTV reporters Stephanie Yang and Huang Pengyu in Taipei.